Oh, I gotta get the playlist. Smooth operator. Smooth operator. And this is where the backup the the singer for B-52s comes in. Coast to coast, LA to Chicago. We have so many different cold opens to work with here. LA to Chicago, baby. And we're going to set sail. Lock lobster of smooth operator ever is what that was. Once the guy I'm pretty sure there's been a really <laughs> shitty metal version at some point. <laughs> no, I, no, no. I know exactly what has happened because I was so. I'm sorry. I, I I know I just said we're going to start, but I just want to get this. <laughs> um, I've been watching the show Legacies. I'm a huge fan of the Vampire Diaries and the offshoot, um, and so I've been watching Legacies on uh, on the CW because again, I'm a I just I'm a sucker for anything with vampires in it. So hey, you like Bridget in that regard. Exactly, exactly. So wait, what is this? <laughs> what do you mean? What, what is the originals? The originals is the offshoot of the Vampire Diaries that was based around Klaus Michelson and the original. But this vampires. is, but Google says this is a spinoff of the Vampire Diaries and the originals. Yes, because this is starring the daughter of Klaus Michelson in the city that was took place around the Vampire Diaries. That, but that. That, that's, it doesn't say spinoff of a spinoff. It's not it a spinoff says... of a spinoff because there are characters from the Vampire Diaries. Oh, this in is fucky. <laughs> don't try to pick. If you haven't watched any of it, it won't make sense. So, just well, it's don't, CW, don't... so I assume there's some girl drama and yep. everyone's having sex or not, or not, not having sex, depending. Not a lot. Not a lot of not a lot of that. But there. talking about being comfortable about having sex eventually one day maybe. Look, man, let's not get upset with the CW for especially, the fact that conversations. People should do especially that. Especially <laughs> Green Arrow. You, okay, that show didn't make any sense. They weren't even teenagers. Anyway, um inside Toronto Toronto's Stephen Abel. <laughs> Toronto's He's a wrestler now. Oh my goodness. Hmm? He's going to Stephen Amell wrestles now. He's yeah. good. Yeah, he's oh, did, is that true? So, uh, yeah. so was um, New England Patriots uh, uh, tight end or no tight end right end uh, Brendan Williams. He's on Raw. Huh. Yeah, he does the Nico Nico knee. Nico Nico knee. Um, so anyway, I wanted to let you know that uh, the reason why I know there is a worse version of Smooth Operator out there is that for some reason with Legacies, they decided to do this thing where they do nothing but pick like acoustic versions of classic songs sung by white women. Um, and it doesn't oh, really... And, no. it's, and, and when I say... And it's not even like just... It's not like I'm saying like it's black music they're doing. No, 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 no. I'm saying... I heard an acoustic version slowed down of Safety Dance. That Ooh. <laughs> but that's wait, what? If I can find oh, no. it quickly, I will find it. It's been the Commonwealth. <laughs> I'm like, uh, like I was just literally like, what in the world is this? That doesn't need cover? to happen. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it here. Um, 
Yes. Yes, I think I found it. Oh, dear. <laughs> we can dance if we want to. We can leave. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We can dance if we want to. We can leave our friends behind. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm going to take your word for it and not listen to it. Why is Sucky and Steven singing some blasé bullshit? Oh my goodness, man. It is. Oh my goodness. Like, I heard that and I was just like, I, I just, <laughs> I just gotta get through the this. water. <laughs> oh, man. So, the, oh, I, I have no. no doubt that there is a version of Smooth Operator somewhere where somebody is strumming a guitar, slowly singing. <laughs> Smooth? That's like a. <laughs> That's like a, that's like a Safian Stevens knockoff. It's once it's... in the backyard. <laughs> she was once like me. Oh my! That's goodness. an actual song <laughs> oh about a great, a good man is hard to find. Great short story. Um. Anyway, so that is. Uh... That's fifteen years old. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that is also twenty five years. Um. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we can get started now. Okay. Nintendo Sega Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. Welcome, everybody, to the Screen Looker Podcast Show. I'm your host, Martin Ben, and with me today, I have Daniel George. How are you doing today, sir? Doing pretty good, pretty good. Just, you know, grinding on that Sunday work life. Gotta get that cheddar, gotta get that paper. Where Kill I... me. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. Um, and then also with us, we have uh, my man, the man, the myth, the technical support specialist, and the best meat stick eater in the world, Matt Redkowski. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I have not eaten any meat sticks today, but I have 13 next to me, and we'll see how many I can get through over the course of the podcast. <laughs> what, Which brand and what type? Let's see. I got a Deering's Jerky Original. I have a Monster Slim Jim um, Original. I have Deering's Jerky Did you crack open that Slim Jim? Give me one second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open something else. I'm not really in the mood for Slim Jim right now. Uh, oh, yeah! <laughs> Although it is WrestleMania tonight. Yeah, it's that's Slim why I brought it up. <laughs> Tell you what, if you hear like a plastic crinkling and uh, ripping, that's, that's what's going on on my end. Dear God, he broke that Slim Jim in half. Eat me. Uh <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> that Uh-oh. was remember that that was like the follow up was the they had the uh, the slim Jim guy yes. going around just yelling I, eat me at people. It was kind of I the slim now. Jim guy. <laughs> the slim Jim. Well, no, no, because Macho Man Randy Savage wasn't yelling eat me, was he? I don't remember. I doubt it. No, he was, did he, he say was I have slim three minutes with you? 
in the ring? Or was that Peter Parker? Bonesaw is ready. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness gracious. Oh, man. The the rails were nowhere to be seen. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to start the show off on a great note that is unrelated to anything. Anyway, Mm -hmm. moving into the first topic of the day, I want to start off by saying so... This segment is called That Actually Just Happened, and it is sponsored by our regular sponsor, Fallout 76. Again, once again, I have to say not actually sponsored by Fallout 76, but in spirit. Oh, man. The sequel to Fallout 75. (laughs) I cannot wait for the Xbox 361. (laughs) Remember when the Xbox 720 was an idea? Yeah, I'm glad glad they did not name it that. Um, I wish they had. I would have gotten one. Where did the idea come from? Some jackknob saying it, and then everyone saying, oh, what will the 720 be? (laughs) I cannot wait for Xbox 2 talk. Oh, goodness. It's already terrible. It's it's already, everybody's saying it's going to be called the Xbox Infinite, and it'll be their last box they ever make. They um. said that the last generation. <laughs> Wasn't the Wii called the Dolphin at one point? Mm-hmm. That's a code name, and it's also the totally legal to own and totally have zero ROMs on it emulator. <laughs> mm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, um, and that actually just happened. Uh, Kotaku's Jason Schreier, as always, uh, with his many reports he's done on the game industry, over the last few years, the book he's written and things like that. And a similar thing, he went around and asked somewhere between 19 to 20 uh, people for the article and since followed up and heard from multiple other people outside of the article chronicling what went wrong with BioWare's Anthem. So I'm not going to read everything out of here. There are 11,000 words in this entire thing, uh, and it would be... It would be way too much for me to try to tell you everything that was great. But just to give you kind of a way that it starts, the first sentence of the piece is called, It Wasn't Even Supposed to Be Called Anthem. Um, (laughs) And due to trademark issues, the team had to switch from their preferred name, Beyond, to the name that we know now, Anthem. And that happened uh, pretty much less than a week before their showcase at E3 2017. IGN was going to sue them. (laughs) Someone was going to sue them. Podcast Uh, Beyond. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So it was was just from the start of the piece, you were like, okay, so there's been a lot of things going on. And then you just kind of dig deeper and deeper and deeper into, into this. So I just kind of wanted to, to showcase some of the things that I thought were pretty cool about this. Um, cool (laughs) yeah well because some of the ideas that they had are cool and i actually heard from other people outside of this whole thing that was also saying the same things as what he mentions in this piece which was that their initial idea was that you were like had these forts and you traveled outside the fort and tried to survive and as you're living outside of it like different planets different things just like appear into the world and that's where, like, the uh, the idea of the, the Anthem spawning monsters and these cataclysms that are in the game, they're the leftovers of that original idea of, like, pulling things from other worlds into this world that's been, like, half-built and is and you have to survive it. Um, 
I kind of wish they had really stuck with that idea instead of going with what they went with because now it's kind of just a a meh uh, loot uh, loot fest, and it's not even a loot fest as much as it's like, hey, let's go do uh this mission okay you shoot these things and that's it and then you leave and then you go it's definitely not a schloop fest please we just it's the worst (laughs) thing that came out of this whole exactly (laughs) um so yeah so one of the things that he talks about in there is a term called bioware magic um which (laughs) which if you are familiar with any kind of development environment i won't even say game development in general but just like any kind of development environment and i'll even say like for myself and you know you we call it bioware magic here other people like just say oh you know i I," other people would just call it procrastination um (laughs) which is that things will always come together in the final months and the push to bring things together earlier doesn't seem to really happen is what it it seems to look like. They see that they can they call everything a hockey stick where it is flat for a while and then suddenly jolts upward. Right. So that's like their idea. They're they're coasting along, not coasting. They're obviously working very hard, but they're flat because they're not moving forward progress very much. And then it just jolts upward because they're going they, they have to hit the finish line. Um, so I think everyone's kind of familiar with that idea and concept. I mean, anyone well, who yeah. has never pulled an all-nighter for a final um, is just way better at life than I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, there, and being- I imagine also, you know, uh, staying up for a final for months. And also, it reminds me of uh, when Rock De- uh, Rockstar Games are like, oh, yeah, it's like they're magical little elves working on our games to make them, you know, a special treat for the gamers and totally not exploitation of the user base, comrade. Right, right. It, I missed that, but it sounds terrible. <laughs> well, it's weird because uh, it's similar to like when your family or when your your company starts trying to use the word family a lot, and it's just oh, kind of like, nah, man, I just work here. Like. We are cool. I like y'all. We can hang out after work. We can go do things. And some of you all may come like family. But at the end of the day, like, we will never really be family just because we work together. Uh, <laughs> what what family member hasn't been uh, hired on a Monday and fired on a Friday <laughs> after crossing, you know, the country? Uh, well, that was telltale, but still... Yeah, so so they they had that family. Right? That was that was their that was their early thing where they were just, the first thing is just like he's talking about like their processes, um, and that so much of what plagued the game was that they could never really decide on what it was. So what I was talking about previously was one idea for the game. <clears throat> Throughout, they also say they got this idea for the survival type part of the game, and then it started shifting into being a more online style game and the online was always there but it was never fully realized in terms of what it was actually going to be because you can't build an online game until you know what the people are going to be doing in it um so essentially what they say is or or what happens here in this process is you have casey hudson leading the project starting in about 2011 2012 as they're working on the project, codenamed Dylan, because they wanted it to be the Bob Dylan of video games. What a name. Um, 
they end up losing Casey Hudson partway through. Um, he leaves the studio. He puts out a statement that says that he thinks that the people at Bioware are on the cusp of creating something great and that, that he feels that they have all the tools they need to finish this out, right? So there's that. <clears throat> but then uh, after he leaves, there's a person that's put in charge here. Let me see if I can... Uh, See if I can. Uh, You're going to say they were tr going to triumph as one? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so. Well, is it that Anthem's tagline? Um, something like that. I actually don't remember what their tagline for that game is. It's not like a really huge part of it, to be honest. Um, stronger alone, stronger together. I think it is. Oh, it is triumph as one. Yeah. You know it is? is it triumph as one? According yeah. to Gamepedia.com, it is. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I paid a lot of attention to that game leading up. Did well, the, the, the thing is, movies have taglines. Games don't really. Nah. But I, 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 I like that looter shooters pretend that they're, you know, some AAA movie. Um, and then, you know, see the <laughs> Seize them. Oh, God. I look forward That's to training. It's a triple I game. <laughs> it's a quadruple I game. Oh my goodness! So it's it's like a quadruple A player. They're always good good as an idea, but never come to fruition at the major leagues. So when they uh, <clears throat> when Casey Hudson leaves, he leaves in 2014, um, August 2014. Another guy, John Warner, takes takes the head of game director for Anthem. And essentially what started as a very high ideal where, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, Anthem's morale was apparently among the highest in all of EA at this time um, because everything was showing early prototypes. So everything was about potential. That was what they were actually doing. Um, so what ends up happening is similar to what happened with Mass Effect Andromeda which is they had a lot of these crazy ideas of things that they wanted to do with the game. They had prototyped for so long that when they finally actually started making the game, they didn't realize that we have to find a way to finish this or we have to find a way to actually make it something. Um, so Mass Effect Andromeda has the issue where they get to the point where they need to finish it and they don't have enough people on it. So they have to pull people from other teams to finish Mass Effect Andromeda and get all of that stuff going, working. Then they have Anthem going and Anthem is not really moving very far yet. It's still in these, these early stages. So how long do you, would you all say a game that was first announced and teased in 2012 was in pre-production? How long would you say that would have to happen if it were to release in 2019? Well, the thing is, I know Dear the answer God. <laughs> well, I'm asking, I'm mostly asking for Matt. Matt, how long do you think a game, if, if I announced the game in 2012, that's meant to be released sometime in the next 10 years, right? And it releases in 2019, so that's seven years later. When do you think that it should have hit full production? I don't know how long pre-production should take. If I figure production would take longer than pre-production would. You are absolutely correct that production so generally lasts longer than pre-production. However, in the case of Anthem... Not... 
I was going to say, not in the case of, like, MMOs and those kind of games. Like, WoW took forever to make. I think... And it was just mostly kind of getting the framework down. Just mostly those huge games where with huge maps. Yeah, I well, what I meant by how long do you think it should take is, like, if we were talking about, like, the timeline cycle of how long it took to make a game... Um, a brand new game, generally pre-production would be like consistent throughout. Like you would basically be making everything as you go. Cause it's brand new. You've never done it before. World of Warcraft would stand out like that. An existing p- series such as call of duty. Most of the game would likely be pre-production. Cause you're going to be reusing previous assets you've had in other places. You're not, they very rarely are like creating entirely new biomes all the time. Like they have stuff that they can reuse to try to churn that out within three years for Anthem. Anthem, according to Jason Schreier was in a pre-production phase all the way up until E3 2017. So that means a game that was initially announced at least teased in 2012 had its first new reveal in 2017 that reveal was at the point where they were starting full production in June of 2017. Now, the game released in February of 2019, just for, for reference this point. So when you're talking When about- exactly? <laughs> February 15th or February 22nd? Which was the real release date? Um, well, we can talk about that too, because that is also in the piece <laughs> wherein they they treated the initial release as if it was like, oh, that's not a big deal, and then oh, that we probably shouldn't have released that. Um, but no, so <laughs> so the game basically was in basically you're looking at a little over eighteen months of full production, um, and even then, as he goes and weaves the narrative further, um, starting. In July, they still had not made very much progress on decisions. Um, And at the time that they had actually shown that June 2017 trailer, they had actually had only one working mission in the game, is is what they were saying. Uh, It's a very, very wow kind of thing. Um, Mm. Essentially, if you look at the idea of, hey, they had two more, three more, four more months after that, you would think they would have gotten a lot done, but they didn't. So they bring in uh, Mark Dara, who was on the Dragon Age team, the original Dragon Age team back at that point. Casey Hudson comes back and cancels that Dragon Age game and puts Mark Dara on Anthem. Uh, Mark Dara gets credit for coming in and basically being like, scrap that, scrap that, scrap that, scrap that, scrap that, ship it, ship it, ship it, ship it, ship it, get things done. Um, and putting direction, I ship it. <laughs> putting oh, direction to it. Um, if you if you ever want to know, uh, see, here, read something interesting. If you read uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, it's a similar theme when you look at uh, what Bruce Straley de- describes as his process towards the end of game development. Is as people are working on something, he just starts looking at it and he's just like, ship it, just ship it. Doesn't get it out of the door, whatever it takes to get it out. Um, and that's essentially what was going on with Anthem is that they have these, they want you to get through all these missions or, or get through all these things, but they just don't have enough built out. So one of the yeah. things they didn't have built out prior to this point was flying. So the flying in Anthem is great. 
it's one of the major things they showed off early and one of the huge parts of that E3 2017 trailer that they made sure was in there. But they actually kept removing and re-adding it into the game. And funnily enough, we uh, have I Patrick think- Soderlin to blame for Anthem having flying in the game because they had to do a demo for him after an initial showcase they gave to him. He just basically lit some... Uh, uh, ripped into their uh, ripped into their behinds because he was like, this isn't what you promised me. So he sent DICE developers over to help them with the Frostbite engine. And then he sent, uh, and then they started working for six weeks and adding the flying back into the game. And that that is how flying put was put back into the game of Anthem based on this story. There's probably some other stories out there of how it stayed. Um, but that's just crazy, right? Like you have EA to thank for this this entire idea. Um, Thanks, EA? Question <laughs> mark? Is it really Love those guys. EA? Um, yeah, well, like so EA. It, it was, it's crazy, man. Like, you know, it, just reading through this is, it's not like it's brand new or anything like that in terms of reading a story about development. Um, and it's not even like it's not obvious in the game itself that it was lacking direction. I mean, there... He talks about how the people acknowledge there are cutscenes that are referencing characters that used to be in the scenes but got taken out because the thing that they were going to do with them got taken out of the game, but it just wasn't enough time to reshoot everything, so they just had it in there still. Um, there's, <laughs> uh, there's just like this entire thing that they just didn't make decisions on early enough that they could really reshoot a lot of it or redo a lot of it, and you just end up in this situation where they're all um, just pushing towards a deadline that they've gotten, but they just have not done enough up to this point to actually get it out. So as someone who watched their uh, live streams and what they were putting together and how they were putting them together, like you could just see, I think... Uh, most of the people who were leads, like producers on there, all took like a month off or multiple weeks off after the game actually shipped and had met past the 22nd to the 29th dates for like first like first follow-ups and all that. And it was a very good reason they did because you could just see like bags under eyes and dark circles just veering up. And it's like, this is not, this is not whatever they're doing to get this out. They're doing a lot of hours. Um, yeah, they got dementored some <laughs> lives and years off their lives. <laughs> One of the things that they put in there, uh, Matt, uh, to, to give you an idea of what, what I mean by that is he talks about people taking uh, stress leave um, and then basically being off for periods of time, um, weeks or even months, and some just wouldn't even come back. Um, huh. At the end of it, they also counted um, stress casualties um, between. It's great when they're calling them casualties, by the way. Yeah. Not even trying to sugarcoat it, just straight up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. We lost these men. Yeah. Women. They they called a uh, uh, one of the developers in an email said that he they called them a stress casualty, which was someone who had such a mental breakdown from the stress they're just gone for one to three months. And some come back and some don't. It's just that's how. Yeah, that's, that sounds like shell shock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, in some cases, it, it kind of is because you're just like you start working on this thing and then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're like, man, we have to really go very, very deep just to get to the bottom of this. Um, and it's it's just as someone who who has worked themselves very, very hard for like periods of time and whatnot, like it's just you just kind of reach a point where you're like your days start blurring together. Right. Like you, you start on Monday by the time Friday hits, you're like, man, I can't believe Friday's already here. And then you hit Saturday and you're still working and you're like, man, I don't even what kind of time even is there to actually take time for myself or to do this thing or to do that thing. Um, You get all of those things pushed together and you just kind of get this like it's not even you don't even start feeling the stress until you take a break. And then you're like, oh, my God, I <laughs> I don't even know if I can get back into this, into this grind and this groove of that grind anymore. Um, so, yeah, stress casualties definitely understand the concept of it. Um, they say towards the end, um, one of the former developers said that by beginning of 2018, so a year out from from the game, Um, they talk about six years development time, but the core gameplay loop, the story and all the missions of the game were made up in the last 12 to 16 months. Um, okay. (laughs) So, so while they were in pre-production for five years up to the point of the E3 2017 trailer, um, really they didn't actually do very much start until starting August of 2017 in terms of actually getting stuff into the game. It's kind of crazy. Uh, to think about all that. So anyway, the last thing I'll say on this is, um, but why? W- one question I have is, why did they work so hard, and what were they trying to avoid doing, as they saw in a previous EA game, with its face and uh, facial animations? Oh yeah, that was that was another thing. They were saying they didn't want memeable. Uh, memeable <laughs> images in the game for so like all the faces <laughs> like it was a joke for people who played Anthem like people were making jokes they were like yeah I mean every single one of these faces looks pretty pristine and and all of that and it was just basically like we don't they did like very high end um, high end work on the facial animations and all that um, because they wanted to make sure the game was unmemeable. Um, so they took five years to work on that, so they wouldn't be part of a joke that would last for a week, right? Well, no. Well, the thing is, so, Mass Effect Andromeda's memes did not last a week. And the they last, was, they last the whole month that the game was relevant. And and the hmm. and the the problem is, is like games can survive being memes for a week if the rest of the game is good. And Mass yeah. Effect Andromeda had that big problem of like you had like I finished the first planet on that game. And it's fun to play, but that was like 10, 15 hours right there just on that one planet. And it wasn't like there was a ton of variety in what I was doing. I just like was rolling around to a podcast while I was doing stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And you're trying to fly or not fly around. Right. Exactly. In, in, in I Anthem, can't believe that was, that was uh, a thing in Anthem. Just the idea of, will we have flying in this game? <laughs> No, we shouldn't have flying in this game. Uh, several months later, like weeks before E3, we'll have flying in the game. <laughs> we need flying in the game. What's the flying in the game? 
it's kind of crazy though. Like, I can understand having been in product development meetings and like gone through back and forths and like had to fight the good fight to get a feature in when they people were telling me, I don't know if we're gonna have time for that. Make time for it. This is not gonna work without this. And like losing those battles and just seeing, like I can just see myself on the other side of the team that's been like. Yo, I spent all this time on flying, and it looks great. What do you mean we can't fly in the game? <laughs> Why are we not yeah, flying the game now? <laughs> that's something that's like the the pretty much the prognosis was that the body was moving and the brain wasn't telling the body what to do. Yeah, it's, it's so it's, like you it makes sense. sense. So like, sorry. Oh, hello, Moto. Hello, Moto. Ah. Um, oh, everyone's phone's going off. Oh, I guess that's the, uh, North Korea's firing. All right. Those are both firing, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, the thing is, yeah, so, like, it was pretty much like, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Bueller? Bueller? And then people are just working on stuff. Or not working on stuff, knowing that it will just go into the ether. Yeah. Because no one would take ownership or leadership on, like, a macro and micro level. Like, there's certain things, like, you have... I, I kind of liken uh, game development having only experience on the production side from, uh, a, from a publisher standpoint of a multinational, low-end, Korean-based MMO. Uh... Where it's pretty much, what do they give you? Patch it and make it work and put it live onto the servers. But uh, pretty much, like, you need someone to liken it like a... Kind of like a like a Home Depot. Like a manager at a Home Depot. They're not in... They're not in the plumbing section all day checking what plumbing's up to. They're not, like... Plumbing one day and then, you know, home appliances the next day. No, they have Hello. their department managers. And the the store manager just checks in on the department managers to make sure that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty much making managing the managers. There was not really much of that at BioWare. It seemed like, oh, are we having this? Are we, go, are we good to go on these javelins? Is this concept good I think are we, we going to go with this one i think we mentioned this before but i mean just at the beginning the fact that the person who started the project as game director left and then came back and that game was still in development is just kind of a, a a great idea of like how this ended up happening which is that there well he he very, went for a different company though no but what i'm saying is is like not not saying that he like uh he is the linchpin in this. But I just kind of think like if in the middle of God of War, the reimagining of God of War, where they're making this entirely new thing in this other realm, these other ideas, like Corey Barlog was like, yeah, I had the guys, we had some narrative writers, but then like I saw the stuff that they were doing and what we were talking about. And those things all seemed like they were suited for a second game. So I was like, we need to start focusing on how to establish these people as characters first before we can start getting them into all of these huge scenarios or whatnot we need to first know who they are so i stepped in more on the writing side and like as a game director like his kind of thing was like you have to be a part of like every conversation so that you can give the approval or give like not give the approval or whatever 
Um, and obviously other people have different ways, but like if you have somebody who is as involved in the making of process as that, and then like three years in, he was just like, I got to go. St- I want to go. St- he's got to do the, uh, the, um, what's his name? That was, uh, the Stan Van Gundy. I have to go spend time with my family. And, <laughs> and and with the Miami Heat situation, and and you got somebody else that comes in and takes over. Like if it's not Pat Riley who's taking over with this vision of how he's going to run things, and instead it's like you got another guy coming in, and he may not even have had the idea of the vision because he just started, which is part of the story too. Like he had just gotten there not too long before that, so. All of these things that were probably like these big ideas that Casey probably had in his head of what they were going to accomplish while he was gone, because these are the directions they had started on, like just seems like they wilted away as like other people were trying to figure out where to have all these other things in there. And, and that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a saying. power vacuum. Just or a like decision. a decision. Yeah, just a decision. Create a vacuum. Yeah, like there's a decision-making vacuum that's just gone, where this person who has an idea of how this thing's going to get made and is is gone, and then everything else just kind of falls apart around it. It's like The Office after season six when uh, when there is no Michael to be around anymore, when everything could always be about, like, what is Michael's stupid thing going to be this time, or what is everyone else going to be doing, and then we always have to come back to how Michael messes it all up. Like, they lose that in the later seasons after that, and you're just kind of like, yeah, they're just kind of moving around. This is like, there's a new boss, and then there's another new boss, and then Andy's the boss, and then there's all these other different things. They get taken over. They get breaking apart. It's all crazy, and it's like, yeah, there's no central character or narrative to really tie everything together, and it's the same thing in this process, it seems like. Um, But needless to say, uh, the game where it is today is still being fixed, um, they have a lot of work that they did towards the end of the game um, to tr- to get it out. And then they came up with these ideas of how they were going to extend the game for people, but didn't really have a huge idea of what the end game would be. And they still haven't really exactly spelled it out for players who have the game either. Um, and they're currently working on trying to fix loot in the game because they don't want to just give you weapons because there's not a lot of them um and they don't want to just give you skins because there's not a lot of those so essentially they have a game without a lot of content without a lot of uh cosmetics without a lot of weapons without a lot of armor and without a lot of variety that they're trying and to those make. guns and those guns are shooting fake numbers <laughs> right that doesn't have a lot of back-end support behind what it is they're saying you're actually doing the actual descriptions aren't being uh aren't very descriptive of what you're doing and the actual game itself is just asking you to do the same thing over and over and over again there's only so much time that you have to fix something like that and they 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 they've only been out for two months so it's like maybe they could fix it i don't know but the way that this story is out and as long as they have the same production team that's like we're gonna ship this stuff and it actually gets it out there, that would be something that um, that would actually help them uh, to be able to make the game something by the end of 28, 2019. Uh, but who knows? Everyone, everyone always does this thing with EA where they may just be like, yeah, we're not going to really, not really going to be able to push this any further. But I don't know. 
I listened to somebody today say they think that they should just stop working on it. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think they should stop working on it. But it does feel like they have a lot more work to do. <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. It's It's got the, I was going to say gameplay loop, but monetization loop, let's be real. That allows it to be rebooted again and pretty much reship 2.0 if they do another launch. They already got their pre-order sales. The financial investors are sated. Late stage uh, capitalism is fine and well. I mean, we'll, we'll Thank see. Thank God for that. Well, I guess for me it's mostly like they have a lot of stuff to add. Um, and they can definitely relaunch it again in another, you know, six months to a year or whatever it is. Um, but it's ultimately going to depend on, like, I mean, we have this other game that we want to do next. And we have this other thing that we want to do next or whatever. But it's just weird. I don't, I don't know. It's well, weird when games get in situations like this where they launch th- early and bad. <laughs> think of it this way. This is not the biggest disaster in live games as a service this isn't maybe in north america it's probably or it's probably pretty bad but think of it this way final fantasy 15 or 14 at launch was a shit show to the point where it's pretty much like open vast nothings and sandbox towns around final fantasy 14 was a financial creative and just psychological disaster for Square Enix, but instead of just closing shop and taking their ball and going home, they pretty much relaunched the game again, canonically destroyed the past, finished it if they would yeah, uh, I- destroy the past. Oh, no, wait, whatever the fucking Star Wars line is. Um... <laughs> And they relaunched it again, Realm Reborn. And Final Fantasy XIV is coming out with another expansion this year. As somebody who's currently playing Final Fantasy XIV, I can 100% see whatever it was that it launched as, because, my God, the early part of this game is very much, like, very uh, beginner lessons wild type stuff. No, 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 no. (laughs) This... No, 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 no. They they firebombed whatever remnants of the original game was. Well, I'm saying just playing it now, it's like if if anything was any worse than not worse, but like any less than what it is right now, it's like oh well, I can 100% see that. And I I mean it's a similar thing with with Anthem. I think every game that's with these types of games can rebound. Like they just have to have enough investment in them to be able to do it. And hell. The real question is, how much is enough investment before it's seen as uh, as a huge, just as a loss that you got to cut ties with? Well, uh, think of it this way: because of its monetization, they can afford to do it, and they have enough of a launch base because people in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen are still pre-ordering games. They're they have enough of a sunk cost to fa- fallacy their way to whatever comes next. Well, either way, um, I think they can do it. I, I'm not. I'm not they, I'm it's not a faith in Bioware because <laughs> I don't know what Bioware is anymore. I it's mean, not the. It's not the Knights of the Old Republic crew. That's well, for damn sure. 
Well, BioWare responded to this piece. Uh, they said, we'd like to take a moment to address an article published this morning about BioWare and Anthem's development. They did not mention Kotaku by name because, of course not. Why would you do that? That would be giving them free press. Um, so when did this article come out? So the article came out like, what is this? Let's, let's, I got to go all the way back to the top of it. It came 15 minutes after the article was posted. Yeah, so uh, Bioware's piece came out eleven, like eleven fifteen, and uh, the uh, Kotaku piece was at eleven. So, first and foremost, we wholeheartedly stand behind every current and former member of our team that worked on the game, including leadership. It seems, as you read through all this, you'll see there's a repeating refrain that they take a very big deal with the fact that leadership was pointed out in this piece a lot. Um, takes a massive amount of effort energy and dedication to make any game making anthem would not have been possible without every single one of their efforts chose not to comment or participate in the story because we felt there was an unfair focus on specific team members and leaders who did their absolute best to bring this totally new idea to fans we didn't want to part with be the part of something that was attempting to bring them down as individuals respect them all and we built this game as a team put a great emphasis on our workplace culture in our studios the health and well-being in our team members something we take very very seriously we have built a new leadership team over the last couple of years, starting with Casey Hudson as our GM in 2017, which has helped us make big steps to improve studio culture and our creative focus. We hear the criticisms that were raised by the people in the piece today, and we're looking at that alongside feedback that we receive in our internal team surveys. Put a lot of focus on better planning to avoid crunch time, and it was not a major topic of feedback in our internal postmortems. Making games, especially new RP, will always be one of the hardest entertainment challenges. We do, every can. We, we do everything we can to try and make it healthy and stress-free, but we also know there's always room to improve. Um, so I'm not going to read the rest of that because there's a follow-up that happened internally that wasn't put on a blog post that Bio or that Kotaku received um, that was from uh, Casey Hudson. And uh, I was going to say, like, the, the, the end is where, like, the, the dog whistles start blaring. Ooh. Oh. The, uh, we don't see the value in tearing down one another or one another's work. We don't believe articles that do are making our industry and craft better. <laughs> our full focus is on our players and continue to make Anthem everything it can be for our community. Thank you to our fans for your support. What we do, what we do for you. Um, so they're they're fake news. They're t they're they're just uh, it's all collusion. They're no collusion. <laughs> They're trying to tear us down. The f part of the Kotaku fake news media. They're they're we don't believe that that's making us better to be so negative. So according to Schreier, they were asking employees not to speak to the press, um, and so they didn't say anything else after this statement. And then late Wednesday of this week, uh, Bioware general manager Casey Hudson sent a note to staff, now obtained by Kotaku, that that addressed the piece that said. Hey, Bioware, I wanted to get a note out to you to share my thoughts on the thoughts on the Kotaku article and the online discussion it has raised. Notice internal notes mention who Kotaku is. Um, <laughs> the article yep. mentions many of the problems in development of Anthem and some of our previous projects, and it draws a link between those issues and the quality of our workplace and the well-being of our staff. These problems are real, and it's our top priority to continue working to solve them. What we found out of bounds was the naming of specific developers as targets for public criticism. It's unfair and extremely traumatizing to single out people in this way, and we can't accept that treatment towards any of our staff. That's why we did not participate in the article and made a statement to that effect. 
When I was offered the opportunity to return to Bioware as a GM, I came into the role knowing the studio was experiencing significant challenges in team health, creative vision, and organizational focus. I was and continue to be excited to help drive improvements in those areas because I love this studio, and above all, I want to create a place where all of you are happy and successful. By the way, um, if you are someone who joins a team because of significant challenges in team health, creative vision, and organizational focus, it sounds like you've just corroborated everything that was written in the article. You just, <laughs> you just didn't like that it put someone's name on it, but you absolutely got hired for that. Um, next thing he says is, I'm not going to tell you I've done a good job at that, and on a day like today, I certainly feel like I haven't. But some of the steps we've taken towards this includes a more focused studio mission and values so that we have clarity on what we are here to do and how we define a high standard for our studio culture. So, again, if you're saying that this is one of the steps that you've taken since you've been there, again, it's not like you're corroborating the article by saying, hey, we know we put out this piece in public that said that we stand behind everything that we're doing. But also we hired a brand new leadership team because we didn't really like everything that was being done. So, again, like, it's just a reiteration of the same thing. They just didn't like that Kotaku put their business out there. But at the end of the day, like, you don't normally hire a brand new GM, bring in new executive producers onto a project because you liked where that project was going. Well, an another thing that they said was extremely traumatizing to point out uh, in uh, targets for public criticism you know what's extremely traumatizing? Crunching for months on end and having people vanish from video games industry as a whole because you put them through so much work and effort that they've just become a shell of a person. But I guess, you know, being called yeah. out on that is just as traumatizing. Both sides, both sides. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing, you know, working for, you know, Weeks on end without sleep or uh, proper time with your family. But, I mean, having an article written about you is worse. No, not even an article about, written about you. Write, or an article written about you saying that you did it. Yeah, I, well, the thing the is... truth is really irritating. The the thing that kind of got me... Well, let, let me finish this first and then I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> so next thing is... Uh, he says, you know, we updated our studio structure around a matrix so that department directors can be fully focused on an individual career support and well-being. We are defining better role clarity so that people can succeed better against clear expectations. And we are putting in place production changes that will provide for clear project vision as well as a significant post-production period that will further relieve pressure and anxiety on teams during development. But I know there's much more to do, and we'll talk more in detail about other actions we have been planning in response to internal feedback and postmortems at next week's all hands. As always, please continue to provide feedback on further steps we can take to make Bioware the best possible place to work. I'm committed to getting us to a place where we are delivering on the highest expectations for Bioware games through a work environment that's among the very best in the world. With your help, we will get there. Please let me know if you'd like to talk in person. I'll be happy to set up time to hear your thoughts. All right, so... Essentially, um, you know, Jason Schreier has more that he says uh, in the article follow-up, but it mostly just goes around the idea that um, they basically dism dismissed his article, um, but then he also heard from other studios that said, replace Bioware with my studio, and it's the same story. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the big thing that I got out of this is I saw some creative people who were saying that, this piece didn't seem like it was going to help in any kind of way. Um, and I was more or less like, 
because and their idea was that as long as gamers continue to buy uh buy products that are made this way that studios will continue to do things this way um and it's like yeah they they will they will absolutely continue to do things this, this way there's not this isn't a Ford factory where you can literally create a production process that is just going to crank things out without any sort of extra time, extra hours. And even even Ford has bad shipments that come in. That means somebody has to work extra to get new stuff in and then churn out the rest of it to meet whatever deadlines they have. So it's not like you're going to fix every issue because you publish an article. But until people are aware, they don't they can't even make the decision. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, I wouldn't know about this if they hadn't published the article. I mean, maybe if it came up before everything, you know, like before the release of Anthem, if uh, Jason Schreier had been able to put out an 11,000-word article with 20 sources um, before Anthem came out, I, uh, I would have, well, I didn't buy it. I would have bought it less. But, I mean, like, it's articles like this that inform people, Uh I mean, if the problem is people are still buying the games, then, you know, let those people know that this is going on. I'm guessing that an issue with that is finding an available well of people to talk to when their lives are on the line, depending on how well the game sells. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly a matter of you can't ever really... Uh... You can't really do something in advance because the people who are going through it are still going through it, right? Like, right. Yeah. there are there are occasionally stories that come out during a game's development, like if it takes long enough and enough people have left. But like, you can even see like um, Naughty Dog is a studio that's well known for crunch, and you know Bruce Straley uh, left games for like he literally like left life for a good like <laughs> like year of just like homie was only putting updates on where he was traveling next on his twitter account because he went from doing crunch with the last of us to doing crunch to finish um uncharted 4 and in the book blood sweat and pixels as they talk about uncharted 4 he literally bought an apartment not bought but like rented an apartment closer to the studio so that he could actually just leave for have a shorter commute instead of the hour-long commute he could get there within 15 minutes so he could just get back to work um working you know starting at like however early in the morning you want to think and then ending at however late in the day you want to think so like those kinds of things just happen for people who are uh, who are like really going to push themselves to get something out but then at the end of the day it just also becomes like I just don't have it anymore, and I, I, I can't do it anymore. Um, one of the things that um, Jason Schreier referenced on their podcast was he was like, you know, two months before Bruce Straley left Naughty Dog, he was talking about that he was working to find ways so that they never have to do that again, and then two months later he was gone and on sabbatical, and then shortly after was on, like, a like uh, he just left. So he went on sabbatical, then he went on permanent leave and left the company. So, yeah. Um, Something I have to wonder about is just like, why? Like, I don't know what other artistic industry that's as widespread as this is like grinding to production to like full green light up until the day of. 
like films some films are like on the bookshelf for like years before they're picked up by a distributor Mm -hmm. uh films you know even blockbusters they're you know they're cut and they'll be edited maybe they'll be fine-tuned but like screeners will go out well in advance and all the hard work is done like why can't like especially if they're uh, timing it for like you know uh let's say like um you know, like uh, March, any fiscal year end, or for the, the uh, what's it called? Uh, like, uh, what's, uh, you know, like uh, October, November. Why can't games have, like, why does the, is the industry so bent on immediate sales that they can't sell a game and ship it and then be working on the next thing? before knowing if it's good or bad or in terms of sales like it seems like it shows just how teetering on the edge the AAA games industry is where they have to be grinding until launch because otherwise there's no safety and security well i think it i think it ultimately depends on what you're what you're talking about because some of it is driven just by having to have financial results based on shareholders, which drives most of the craziness that you see in a lot of industries is like, we need to look good for shareholders. So we got to cut this. We got to cut that. It's why you see layoffs that happen for people that you will absolutely need sometime in the future. But you just need to look good for whatever the next few quarters are while you're in this transition period. And what I think ultimately it says to me a lot of times for a company like EA, especially who's canceled so many projects and like not gotten so many things in a row is like, one is this, this is very hard. So that's nothing to say that it's like they're incompetent, but it's Mm -hmm. everything to say that like you should be building things. Like I know it's cynical the way that Activision pushes things out where they're like, we have a three year development cycle on call of duty. And to me, it's like, at the very least, though, those teams know they have three years. So, like, at that point, your production team can say, like, hey, we have three years to get this done. And yep. that means that I have only three years worth of time that we can scope things out, plan, and execute it. So that means that if we're at a year and we're still in the prototyping phase, we got to start cutting stuff. And with this project, you can just tell, like, Bioware was in the midst of releasing like four games during this time period before Anthem comes out or three games uh, because it was there was Mass Effect 3 was 2012 then Dragon Age Inquisition then Mass Effect Andromeda and they did the Star Wars The Old Republic during that time too I think. Um, Those are different Biowares somewhere in there. Well they they, 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 it it all becomes one Bioware towards the end there though. Yeah. I mean (laughs) so if you have no, but, you don't say yeah. like, we're going to put this out fiscal year 2017, right? And your producers are like, unless somebody's actively pushing, like, no, we have to have more time because this is what we're trying to do. In this case, like, it was literally like, well, we need more time. Why? Well, we, we just don't have any idea what we're doing yet. Uh, that's the kind of things where when you see, like, I never, like, for games that we were never revealed and then got dropped 
I'm usually never that huge of a, like, I don't really think about it that much. And the main reason why is, like, if we never saw the game, then it likely never even reached a point where it was fully prototyped that they would even have a trailer to then show off to people. So even if they worked for two to three years, it maybe just wasn't going anywhere that seemed like it would be coming together at all. Um, and that, that that's rough for those teams that they end up dro- having to drop that. But I prefer that over the alternative, which is this scenario where you work for five years on a project trying to get traction on what you're going to do only to then realize it's all going to get chunked into the last year that you're going to finish. Yeah, but if I'm wrong, but this game was based on Iron Man, correct? Nope. No. No? No? Okay, I thought it had ties to comic book or something. Never mind. No. No, they made their... They're just all kind of like this now. (laughs) It was mostly the flying mechanics were, were clearly based upon, like, the idea of Iron Man and all that. But the the initial concepts and all that were not really about um, we're not really as focused around the flying as much as survival and and making this idea of like these random creations appearing in this world as you try to survive. So definitely not about uh, being a superhero, but it just kind of everyone wants to give you that superhero fantasy. So they just, you know, went with flying mm. as the reason. I was going to say, you're the, the greatest superhero of them all, a freelancer. only at crunch time uh modern day well that's the thing like how many people are working in the film industry on a project on a blockbuster project and how many people are working on a video game on a blockbuster video game project i'm not quite sure where the numbers lie for that Mm -hmm. but the th- the I- the idea is that you know you should know if you are in the big AAA industry, like you know you you should know for a film how long it's going to take, depending on the scope, how the script, what needs to be shot, what CGI needs to be done, how to set up what shots, how to you know do the call out the animation firm or whatever like. The it's pretty much down to a science in film. One th- granted for certain video game companies who have their own proprietary engines, it's a little bit different just trying to figure out how things interact. And as we saw, Frostbite seemed to be a delayer in certain things. But again, it's EA's own engine. They should know what doesn't work and what does work by 3.0, especially when battlefield one was 3.0 anyways but uh the point is that like it seems that it shouldn't yeah especially with the call of duty like having a three-year schedule they know what they're going to do like why does it have to be that you have an announcement for a game that you have no idea what it is and you show a trailer that the people in the development uh, studios are like, wait, that's our game? Like, I don't understand why the video game industry has to be so A, secretive to their own employees, and B, so kind of almost on the fly, seat of the pants direction-wise. Like, it's just a, me- a bedlam of chaos and confusion. Well, I mean, the I've read up on stuff and listened to stuff about, like, because um, I was looking at Naughty Dog at one point, and I was like, 
I was looking at producer roles there and they don't have any. And it's a actual part of their philosophy and how they do game development that they think producers are a bottleneck. And, oh my fucking and God. so because <laughs> of that, they want them to actually have the developers talk to each other more than they go to a producer to get approval on things. They just have the developers communicate, which is how you can imagine that a game may start out in one mode and has an idea. And then it just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, but it also is what gives you like things like the elephant sequence in uh, in Naughty Dog game and in the last uh, the last Uncharted game Lost Legacy. It's what gives you like the giraffe scene in The Last of Us, where you just have like these moments that exist, but and that they're just so outside the realm of what you have been doing the entire time, and they only exist because in that moment someone was like. Man, like, what if in the middle of this city we just had a giraffe? I want to work on a giraffe right now. And they're like, <laughs> we haven't even gotten the gameplay down. But I, the giraffe, though, like, what? how great would... And, like, having a producer in there could stop that from getting made. Like, their entire promise is that they're going to keep things on schedule and taking time to fully render a giraffe likely wouldn't be the best use of time for the game. Unless you had somebody who really understands the vision. Like, it's weird. Like, they don't have producers, and that's part of why you can imagine how their games get so bogged down in terms of crunch and for, like, years at a time because they're, like, adding and adding and adding and working on all these side things. And then on the other side, you also have a situation where you can have producers like EA, and those producers can be ineffectual, and they're not actively getting things on timelines and things like that. Which, again, like, it's not to dismiss that making any of this stuff is hard. It's just, like, there are products that get shipped all over the world that are, like, complex and have all these different algorithms associated with them. And they're managed by large teams and huge amounts of people work on them. And they do have to come out eventually as well. So, like... Google spent all of that money on Google Glass, and it ended up being like, why did we even do this? And I imagine... Well, they, we're talking about products and games. Well, games are products at the end of the day, right? Like they are, Oh, games like, are games are well, art, games, though. Well, games are now a service, too. Uh, <laughs> Art's a product, yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, like they are a product from a company that is being made. They may be a software product versus a hardware product. But there is still a product that is being made. And whether or not it is art or whatever, it's still being sold to you. Right? So, like, the process... Yeah, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The process of production, either way, should have some kind of endpoint that it's targeting towards. And it doesn't really look like they had the, uh, the restraint to say, okay, we have to decide this and just stop everything else until we actually decide this because it just was sparrowing spiraling out of control anyway that is more than enough on anthem that was way more than i thought we would talk about anthem but um daniel george you were uh you played final fantasy 6 as a part of it turning 25 or are we just talking about it turning 25 i was just talking about it because uh the greatest rpg in uh all time i guess uh turned 25 this year as on april 2nd what it's been a long week. April second in Japan, mm-hmm. the SquareSoft's Magnum Opus was uh, first released as Final Fantasy VI in Japan, and when it was released in North America, 
six months later, it was Final Fantasy 3. Don't want to get into all of that. But I did write an article this week talking about the surprise moments that have me coming to the game 25 years later. And that's something that just... it. It, it strikes near and dear to my heart. It's one of the first games I can remember fully completing. I'm not sure how much of that is driving my appreciation for it, but, oh. you know, it's it's just, uh, like, the... It's got a great cast of characters uh, for an RPG. It has protagonists, but you don't have one main protagonist. You kind of tell an ensemble story... Shattered, broken apart, brought back together. You have one of the greatest villains in video game history in Kefka. Kefka. A clown, a sad clown that gets his way. How many times can you count in video games where the bad guys win? Not in the beginning and you have to fight your way back, but in the middle. Hmm. Four. You have an RPG character that wants to become a god and does it. That's yeah. that's, and then you have to pretty much fight your way back. It, it uh, it has a deep dark story. It was when it comes to Final Fantasy games, all of them for the first you know five have opened up with the magical prelude, a crystal of some type, and some fantasy medieval story with dragoons and lancers and goblins and all this stuff. Final Fantasy VI opens up with an ominous sound, uh, crashing lights, thunder in the dark cloud, and you just hear boom, boom on the organ as an ominous Final Fantasy VI logo comes across your screen, and you realize this is not your traditional Final Fantasy game. No, this is a darker, more intense, more mature RPG than you'd probably ever see from at least a console game at the time, as you have a story of a young woman imbued with magical powers doing the bidding of an evil empire as a group of rebellion, uh, rebellious folks come and try to strike back. But not in a fantasy medieval era, in a steampunk era with a lot of machinations, Magitek armor. Even you have some crossbow bolts with, you know, kind of looks like a chewy bow caster. Um, you have, you ha- kind of have your folksy uh, musical tracks again uh, con- uh, sorry soundtrack written and composed by Nobuo Umatsu one of the greatest composers of video game history creating his video- best soundtrack no, in my opinion as I, well I, I, this is the one area where like I, I won't really argue on the story points but the music points I think they're good but I don't think they're 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 not they're not at the top of the re- top of the list for me on that. Uh, what are you talking about? Um, can I? I would like to go on a quick uh, sojourn into the track "Dancing Mad," if that's okay. Dancing Mad. Oh my God! Please go ahead. Okay. Well, Dancing Mad. Um, there are four different movements in it. 
okay, this is the uh, final boss theme. Uh, when you finally meet Kefka in his full god form after going through uh, his final dungeon. Thank you for posting that in the Discord. That is the best track ever. Um, it Every single movement in the... Uh, in the track is completely different and it all ties in to uh, the boss you're facing. I mean, that's that's not especially unique, but what is unique is the uh, thing that Daniel brought up earlier, uh, like the organ hitting and the like the very first thing you hear in the game comes back at the very last moment of the game. I think it's the second movement where it does that, I'm not certain. I think it, it's. I think it's a big pause leading from the second to the third. Okay, but I mean, like that entire track. I mean, it tells a story on its own. I mean, it's very, very difficult to like put an entire orchestra into eight-bit sound, or is that sixteen-bit on the Nintendo? Sixteen-bit. Yeah, but just the entire way through, you get the entire story of like Kafka himself, like going from like laughing like a maniac into like just not understanding what's going on how can he lose like uh like the final movement just goes from something incredibly like almost like rock oriented to just like organs alone Mm -hmm. just like sad reflective how the fuck am i losing and it loops over and over again as you're going through but just that that track I always find myself going back to, like when I'm trying to name like my favorite video game tracks of all time, um, the ocean theme from uh, Wind Waker, Flying Battery Zone Act Two, and Dancing Mad. Like they like flip from one, two, three all the time, and I think Dancing Mad maybe is my favorite video game track ever made. It's so intelligent too musically. It's composed meticulously as it seems to go into utter chaos it has leitmotifs of other tracks in the game tracks of Hefka's advancement through the world starting as a lowly general to uh, a war of humans versus ma- um, the magic wielders into the thirst and acquisition of power turning a man into a god Overcoming the the gods of magic itself, imbued with its power, creating a tower manifested as an eye that casts a light of judgment upon those in the land, destroying leveling cities, and it all comes down to four movements of uh, tapping into Dante's levels of uh, hell rising into from judgment to purgatory and uh, finally arising to Kefka starting in the dark going through the body moving up to the clouds and as the cloud as you reach the clouds light parts the sky and you have the most angelic organ solo and then it as soon as you think Oh, this is where it's going. You're basing off against the literal angel. Then it starts going into an organ madness, turning into like a crazy kind of like almost sync off offbeat syncopated organ funk. Just 
driving mad, intensely building up, and it's just chaos pouring through. It's one of the greatest composed tracks. It's brilliant in its composition, its build-up, its implementation, and producing a final moment of pure chaos, energy, bliss, and the fall-off is so remarkable. It's one of the most impactful ends to a video game I can think of, and especially with it being in the context of a 2D sprite-based game. I have two other points I want to make about how much I love this game, too. Go ahead. Yep. Um, the entire uh, first half of the game, like the... I'm not sure the if World of Balance. About, world of Balance, yes. Like, you're following Terra, someone who uh, was magic from birth. Like, just how outcast she was. Like, her trying to find herself the entire way through. Um, and you meet Celis, someone who was Im imbued with magical power. Um, sort of kinda, um, like, no, like, she, she was into it, she was cool with that, um, but almost like the opposite of, of Terra. Um, Terra is almost, like, ashamed of her magical power, but she's coming to terms with it. Cells loves her magical power, but she's almost like, a almost like the, uh, the golden child. It. Yeah, and it's like Terra, Terra is the, the heart of the story. And then the world of balance falls into the world of rune. Suddenly, the uh, the anti-Terra becomes like the character you're playing, the main character. Like the the entire uh, um, structure of the story shifts. Like from the one character who was just trying to find themselves to the one character who knew themselves all along and uh, took on the thing that made the primary character an outcast. It just it, it just entirely changes your perspective. Like, if you get into and the characters... Yeah. And it's presented as the only character left in a world just absolutely devastated and split in two. And and her fall from the cliff, I think, is maybe one of the most emotional things I experienced in a, in a world where uh, 3D gaming didn't really exist. You couldn't, like, see characters' faces, just sprites. Also, the sprite works are pretty incredible, too. Yeah, you had a character where pretty much they uh, lost all hope and embraced the what they thought to be the final moments of their lives as they cast what is called in North America a leap of faith off of a cliff. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the censorship in the North American version is downright ridiculous, but... It, it shows, like, this game will not fuck around. It will go to deep places. It will go to dark places. Mm -hmm. It's not pulling any punches. This is... The... This is... Where the ray of light of hope has completely vanished from that box. That... Uh... Duncan teased at the very beginning of the game. Hmm. Not Duncan, um... The lead of the Returners. Ben? Ben? No. Bannon? Bannon, yes. Yeah. And the last thing I love about the game, though, is it's so glitchy. 
Like, you're talking about a game, like, you know, Anthem that spent years and years in pre-production just to get everything that they cared about perfect. This was a game that had a lot of uh, QA that should have been done that didn't happen. Uh, yes. But that makes it even more endearing. Like, you can, like, a uh, sequence break in so many different places. You can, like, half of the, well, not half of the stats, but, like, one of the stats doesn't even exist. Um, oh, evasion? Just, yeah, that one. Just, like, and like uh, one of the status, um, not buffs, like detractors, like when you wear uh, sunglasses, doesn't even blindness. work. Blindness, yeah. yeah. Darkness. Makes no difference, you just get to wear cool sunglasses. It, yep. It's just broken in so many different ways, but at the same time, it's just a masterpiece. It Sometimes. did get fixed on the Game Boy Advance. Did it now. With a worse later. soundtrack. <laughs> ten years later. Game Boy Advance was not ten years after. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You sure? You sure? <laughs> you mean the DS era, which would have been later than ten years? Game Boy Advance was 2001. It's not that much far, far, that far away. It's, well, this game came out in 1994. Oh, yeah, you're right. Ten years. Almost ten years. That's seven. Less than ten. It is rounded up, sir. (laughs) We are not going to argue over seven to ten. It didn't even come out. It's closer to five. It's closer to ten. You don't round it up from between five and ten. Round up once you go past five. That's how the rules work. Okay. So if a game is five years old, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm saying. Your six-year-old child is a ten-year-old now. That's what your 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 kid your teenager is still in high school, aren't they twenty? Hey man, you never know. Never know. No, uh, they're sixteen. <laughs> you never know, man. That's what I'm saying. Um, Anyways, uh, I did want to bring up that not only did it have a dark story, a, an enchanting cast. Filled with eclectic characters, lasciduous howlers, and wild feral children, brothers of a royal empire, a treasure hunter, a moogle, a boxer fighter, a shape-shifting copier of your abilities. There's a character named Gogo which is a secret character that you can pick any of the menu items so you can pick you know fight most characters have fight magic item and their unique ability they can pick any four and that is their options for their menu so they could have fight or fight magic or like magic Sabin's ability edgar's ability and turn into an esper or whatever. <laughs> right. They can't turn into an esper, but like, it's just the game went so many different ways. It experimented with so much. There was a point early on in the story where you're trying to face off against the empire, but you get you're on a raft and you are sent to three separate ways. One of your party members is in South Figaro, acting as a spy, trying to figure out information and make their way to Narshi. The second group is Sabin, 
who fell off a raft trying to fight a sarcastic octopus. Altros, yeah. Altros. Uh, and third group is the whoever's left, and they go off through the mines. At this point, early on in the game, maybe about 20, 15, 20% of the way through, mm-hmm. you can choose which of the scenarios you want to play first. You just pick one of the scenarios, you complete it, you go on to the next, you go on to the next, and they all converge. This was in 1994. I don't know what other games did this. In 1994? I don't know what how many games do that now, where you have an RPG-based party, they split up, and they have their own party adventures, make new friends, and then come back together. Um, you do that, uh, it's like part, like it happens as part of Final Fantasy a bit. You don't get to choose the story. Though. Which, which Final Fantasies do that happen? Where, well, that's what I'm saying. Where, like, you don't get to choose the story, but they do the ones where they separate apart and then come back together. Um, Final Fantasy 13, funnily enough, um, <laughs> is a game that separates you and makes you take on different, per- different people throughout. Um, and then they all come back together towards the end, and you can choose from them. Oh, dear um, God. <laughs> Final Fantasy X does it to you. You follow Titus the entire mm-hmm. time, but you go to different people, and then they all come together towards the end. Or towards that the is, okay, if you're saying that it's like Final Fantasy X now, I know that it's not happening like that in Final Fantasy XIII. Wait, wait what? Well, because you're, you're, you're lightning in Final Fantasy Thirteen, right? No, you take on different characters throughout it. You start as Lightning, but then you can take on the character Snow, who's awful. You can take on the black guy for a period of time. Like you take on the, the thunder and the lightning. You don't. You don't the get to lightning. choose, but you you do get to take on the different different ones. And the that. thunder. Uh, it's a dragon. Dragon Traveler also lets you do that recently. Well, Octopath um, Traveler is not a Final Fantasy game, and I'm that's. Just saying- that also the final fantasy uh octopath traveler starts off with eight different characters and then they make a party this is you make a party you split off you get a bunch of other people Mm -hmm. they come back together Mm -hmm. you face off against kefka and then 80 percent of the game happens yes i understand no but you also have to take on um dungeons with two groups of parties and you switch between them that you don't have to do very often in other places but yeah this was a groundbreaking innovation pg and storytelling in and games in general not saying it's not i know that i'm coming off as the final fantasy 6 hater now Uh, (laughs) i'm mostly just saying like talking shit about the soundtrack I didn't talk shit. I just said that, you know, for me, for me personally, it just wasn't right up there in terms of things that I thought about very much. Um, (laughs) I understand, like, the complexities and all that stuff of what what it is. But, like, when I think of, like, the tracks that move me in music, it's usually, like, the simple ones. I admire the ones that are very complex, of course. But, like, simple ones, like, I only really need, like, you can put a piano and just have the piano playing for like five minutes. And I'll be like, that was so great. So great. Every part of it. 
Um, but I do appreciate like the orchestras and all that stuff. It was one of the things I really liked about uh, Breath of the Wild's initial reveal was like, man, that music is wild. They're doing things. Um, but either way. Um, well, I was going to say there's a quote uh, out there. I'm not sure. But uh, for a musician, the SNES sound engine is like a painter using crayons. Nobu Umatsu used crayons to paint the Sistine Chapel in Final Fantasy VI. Yes, that, that's what the people said. That is, a, that is a quote that I saw. That is a quote that I saw. Uh, I agree. But yeah, I just happen to, for me, it's like I, I love orchestras. I love, because I, um, I played violin for a period of time. So like I can appreciate everything about orchestras. For me, it's usually like I like pianos a little bit more, so that's why I have like other favorites that are a little bit higher up there. Um, Final Fantasy X. I like Final Fantasy X. Um, in Final Fantasy in general, Final Fantasy XV actually has a really good soundtrack. Um, if you've ever listened to that at all, uh, and you know, just generally, like I like the way that they arrange the pianos in a lot of these games. Um, and how they put together those musical arrangements and complement them like very subtly with other things but like they just let a piano shine it's simple but it's like effective in terms of what they're trying to do um and i think that the same thing about dancing mad i was listening to it as you all were talking uh i think that it too is like an example of like hey this is like a high-end high-class version of this uh of this idea and the concept of the video game soundtrack, like actually tying all these stuff together instead of it just being something that plays in the background. Um, so, so yeah, I I don't have any hate in my heart for Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VI. I never got to finish it because as I was playing it, it was broke. My my PS3 was broken. But one day, maybe I'll get back to it and actually finish that game. Um, mm. I made Rebecca do it. <laughs> She never played Final Fantasy VI, and then she's like, "Thanks, Daniel. It is because of you and you only, and that I have played this game, and it's the greatest, and it's better than Animal Crossing." <laughs> she did not say that. And then she oh, thanked me for uh, also being there in spirit. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I made Rebecca do it for a write-up piece that we ultimately dropped because no one read it. <laughs> and it was way too much. It was way too much, like thousands of words. Just me write something. They, uh, she writes something in a Google Doc, and then just throw it together and put some YouTube soundtrack pieces in it. That's uh, fun. Yeah, and ultimately, like I, just because I, I like prefer putting it to words. Like deconstruct. I've talked about Final Fantasy VI in written or spoken form many times, so I'm, it's a struggle for me to say something new about it. And it's you know something uh, trying to find something new about a game that's been spoken about in high regard 25 years later. So I just wrote about on the 25th anniversary all the small moments that you might have never seen, like if you've played it even like 20 times that I keep finding new things. Like, uh, for example, I found uh, last time I played, if you... One of the f first characters you can get, um, they 
you have to use a blitz to destroy Vargas, the who the Vargas was a student of Duncan, who was also a student uh or sorry, yeah, Vargas was a student of Duncan, which is a martial arts master who taught Stabin. Uh Vargas killed Duncan in some sort of a jealous rage because Sabin was his chosen mentor. Uh, and once it's at the end of this cavern, uh, the end of this uh, mountain called Mount Colts. And uh, you're just at the last screen when you fight, uh, when you fight Vargas and then you go down a few couple of screens and then you head to the returner's base. And that's when you start, the path that gets you onto the three split paths. It's at the end of like uh, the mountain is, I think, like ten or twelve different, you know, loading screens, different areas you can go collect items, fight monsters, navigate, you know, get your random encounters. So when you're going forward into like two screens, that's pretty much progression. Once you leave mount colts and you head to the returners base which is like i don't know two minutes away you cannot go back up the mountain there's a magitech soldier that is sitting at the base waiting for you and they run you back right off to the returners you're pretty much loaded into this area of the overworld you cannot progress you have to progress the story it's a linear final fantasy game that opens up later down the road if you go all the way back up the mountain with this new character, all the way back fighting a bunch of random battles you've already fought many times, you're you're overpowered at this point. You have an extra character, so it's now a cakewalk. If you go all the way back to South Figaro, you can go to Duncan's wife in South Figaro and tell her the sad news that her husband has died. That's a that's a real? cut scene yeah, for real. Huh. That's a cut. That's a cut. See, I just told Monta one of you, uh, your favorite video games. Um, yeah, top five yeah. certainly. Yeah, top five games. Something that's brand new. That's something that very few people have ever seen. Because who the hell would ever do that? Naughty Dog. <laughs> exactly, Naughty Dog. Well, would do it. who would do that in a 1994 <laughs> game? They think of they thought of so much that it's so layered. There's something to discover even after playing it so many times. You can even play it with a friend. It's a two player RPG. Well, as much as I enjoy talking about Final Fantasy VI, the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Rudkowski, also played a game, and he wanted, oh god, he wanted to tell us about the lovely a jolly experience that he had playing a nice anime dating sim called Blush Blush. Um, no, it was a 27-minute experience. Like, I wanted it to last an hour. Um, you guys are familiar with uh, Farmville, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. You just kind of wait. Stuff happens. You come back. You do stuff for about 15 seconds. You wait. Come back. Do stuff for about 15 seconds. Um, have you ever wanted to do that with uh, anime dudes who have been transformed into a rabbit? A rabbit? TF is this game. Um, so, it's just... Into a rabbit? 
All I wanted to do was find a free dating sim that would allow me to date hot anime dudes. And I say hot as in H-A-W-T. As brought up in... uh, I'll just read it out to you. Blush Blush is a dating game tossed with an idle game. To my knowledge, is about the same thing. It features a lighthearted story where the player must rescue a series of fun and attractive anime boys who have all been cursed with a dark spell. Oh no. A curse that can only be broken with the power of love, naturally. See? That sounds great. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to date hot dudes. But I started playing it. Um, I got about 10 minutes into it with uh, Bridget, and it was just uh, that point on, just clicking, oh, what can I do? Nothing? Nothing at all. <laughs> and as it turns out, um, there are no hot anime dudes. There's just a bunny. There's a wolf and a chicken here. I don't know. Um, I don't really have much to say. Like, I was trying to investigate something that I thought was going to be, you know, really, really nice. Just hot anime dudes. Turns out to be. And they turn into to, to, to animals? Animals, yeah. Yeah, I was, see a 72 hour. Was the actual person. That uh, that turned them into animals. Did he go by Robotnik by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that'd be an awesome crossover. Well, I, there's a reason I said <laughs> there's a reason I said TF is this game is because this is a furry game in disguise. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Do you know that yeah. TF is a short for transformation in the furry yep. community? Yeah, I do yeah. not know that. Let's yeah. talk about furries for a bit. Let's. I don't know. We don't have the a reason bit. I I was I was looking at the screenshots. Like, is that a timer? Is that in the top right a crystals in icon with a plus beside it? This is a microtransaction game, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's a phone app basically, but you can buy it on Steam for free. But uh, you can buy diamonds. In which case, you can uh, transform your uh, hot anime boys back into human beings more quickly if you uh, just want to throw a hundred bucks at the game. Early access, by the way. Hundred video game. Early, early access, sad, by the way. Sad panda. It's like that's like when you're playing. Oh, God. sad panda <laughs> studios. South Park is going to come calling. Amazing. Yeah. I would avoid this. That makes me a sad panda. I don't usually make requests on the show, but if you guys have a a good dating sim where I can uh, date hot anime boys, let me know. Uh, I'm not sure if there are hot anime boys in uh, Boku no Shatoa's Shouju. Isn't there the one where they have the swords, where you date the swords and the weapons, and you have to go... Oh, what was that called? But I... Link to the Past. (laughs) <laughs> no, um, sword dating sim. Not Illusion sword online. Boyfriend, Boyfriend dungeon. Dungeon was the name of that one. That's what that one was. That sounds available creepy. when weapons are beautiful enough. <laughs> Boyfriend dungeon. Oh, there we go. Yep, looks like it's exactly what you're looking for. It even throws in some dungeons in there with you. I, do, I no, I I don't want to. Do any sort of battling. I just want to date hot anime boys. 
I'm, I, it, it may just be that. I don't know. I never actually played it. I just heard people Oh my talk. god, the sword turned into an arm. Oh, he's got long hair. Oh, wait, that's a, that's a woman. Never mind. <laughs> uh, yes. This is confusing. Um, yeah, so... That's my contribution. With 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 all of that, um, it is it's time to get out of here. Daniel George, where can <laughs> people find you? You can find me on apptrigger.com. You can find me on Twitter at it's Daniel George. You can find my writing about Survivor on survivingtribal.com. And you can also find my writing of The Amazing Race on survivingtribal.com. Because... On Friday at 4 p.m., a.k.a. time to walk out the sto- uh, out the house and work weekend work. You're clipping. The, um, the Amazing Race released, not on May uh, 22nd, ahead of May 22nd, but for April 17th, the next season of The Amazing Race is coming because the Million Dollar Mile was such a fucking flop. Sorry, LeBron James, you screwed up bad. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> now, I don't even know what the Amazing means. Race is bringing 11 teams of CBS reality show contestants together to compete in the Amazing Race. That includes three teams, including one which you will know because it's the most famous survivor, Rupert Bonham. Okay. Bye bye, Rupert. You know, we should have known Million Dollar Mile was doomed when Tim Tebow was the host. Oh, oh no. <laughs> hey, don't talk about Tacoma Mets AAA legend Tim Tebow. I'm just saying, <laughs> Tim Tebow serves as the host. You just kind of should have known that it just was not going to be living long. And people were just going to talk Look. about it because of Tim Tebow. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. So the show started on March 27th. And then it was canceled. <laughs> it's not canceled. It's been moved. To, moved it's to, even worse. It's, it's been moved to Saturday. It's been effectively canceled by moving to Saturday. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, surviving tribal like the set the schedule CBS set up in uh, December or January. The amazing race with the reality show teams was going to debut on may 22nd after survivor it would have been 11 or 8 9 10 weeks maybe nine weeks of something to write about during the summer months because god knows there's nothing to write about survivor between june july and the most of august Hmm. But now, because of Million Dollar Mile, I'll be doing double duty of writing about Survivor and then immediately following writing up The Amazing Race with Survivors Rupert Bonham, Lupe, Laura Bonham, Corin Kaplan, Eliza Owen, Orleans, who you might have seen on Resistance Twitter. Resistance Twitter? I don't know. Sorry, we can talk. We can talk about transforming furries on another time. Oh, what? What? Matt Twitkowski, where can people find you, sir? Nowhere. Leave me alone. Leave him alone. He says the man himself. himself. Monte World Peace on Twitter and Twitch. You can also find me at GOTMAB21 on Twitter. You can find the show, Screen Liquor Podcast, wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find the show on Twitter, where we just post our regular regular updates on 
new shows are coming out. It should be out sometime between tomorrow towards the end of the day, uh, just because it's getting late here on my side of the world. But other than that, it has been a pleasure talking to you both. We have spent way too much time talking about Kefka and Co. But other than that, and have, Anthem, <laughs> and and not and, enough and, time. Way too much time on Anthem. But with that being said, you all have a lovely rest of the day.